So as Renee mentioned during the welcome, we are very blessed this morning to have with us a very special guest preacher. Reverend Carla Aidy serves as the senior minister at Country Club Christian Church in Kansas City. Country Club is a very similar-sized and statured church within the denomination. Uh, She has served there since 1988. She was first hired as an associate minister and since 2017 has served as the senior minister. Now, all that's important to know about Carla, but what is most important is that she was raised right here in Fort Worth and was raised within University Christian Church. She used to play in the bell choir. She used to run around with the youth group. I asked her this morning, I said, did you ever get in trouble in the youth group? And she said, you don't need to know that. Carla is a trusted colleague and a good friend, and so will you help me welcome to University Christian Church, will you help me welcome home Reverend Carla Aidy? Thank you, Dr. Peterman, for inviting me to preach. It's also my privilege to call you a trusted friend and colleague, and most importantly, the pastor to my parents. Uh, Dave and I came up on the bus with the K-State players, but we're going to be flying home instead. (laughs) University of Christian Church, you are lucky to have Russ as your leader, and it is my great honor to stand before you today because you are the people who raised me in the faith. I simply would not be here today without the incredible Sunday school teachers I had in this church, people like Nelda Mills, and the incredible youth group sponsors I had, people like Marilyn and Freddie Jones, and the amazing role models I had, people like Betty Bowles, Albert Pennybacker, Judy Stemple, and I definitely would not be here standing before you today if Jean Bryce had not given me my first job in 1988 in Kansas City. Jean, it's a joy to see you. I have to confess that I was in my late 20s before it dawned on me that every church in America did not have religion professors like the Beckelheimers teaching the sixth grade pastor's class, and that every church did not benefit from the theological wisdom of the bright divinity school students like Tim Diebel and so many others who came across the street and nurtured our youth group. What a gift. What an incredible gift this congregation is. Thank you for inviting me. Today's scripture lesson comes to us from the gospel according to John, and we're going to be hearing the prologue, or what you might think of as the introduction to the good news of Jesus. Other gospels, like Luke and Matthew, introduce us to Jesus by telling us that he was a baby born in Bethlehem with the shepherds and the angels and the wise ones bringing gifts, but not John. John has no baby Jesus. John introduces Jesus to us with a poem or a song about the mystery and the power of this one named Jesus. Listen for the good news. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me marks ranks ahead of me, because he was born before me. The law indeed was given through Moses, grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is the only Son, himself God, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. The word of God for the people of God. I remember a time when I was a young teenager my mom walked into my room and flipped on the overhead light. Turn out the light, I protested. It's too early. I was up too late last night. But Carla, she said, it's Sunday. You're singing in the youth choir at 9 a.m. You need to hurry so that you can make it in time for the choir to warm up. I'm not singing, I said. Turn out the light. I'll sing next time the church choir needs the youth to sing. Mom was cool as a cucumber. Okay, she said, I'm turning out the light. You go back to sleep, but you can't go to youth group tonight if you don't sing in the youth choir this morning. I ripped off those sheets in two seconds flat. I was dressed and ready to go for when the youth choir warmed up. I was not about to miss the fun of youth group with my dear friends. So very early on in the journey, I learned that the church gives and the church asks. You too know this truth. The church asks you, will you usher? Will you serve on this committee? Will you mentor a child in the Fort Worth schools? Will you give of your financial resources? And sometimes we begin to worry that the church might take too much from us. I think this tendency has 
increased over the pandemic, we have begun to wonder if other organizations will demand too much from us. Will the church take too much of my precious time, my tithe as it seeks to build a building with more light, my energy, my talents? Will it take so much of me that it leaves me feeling absolutely depleted instead of spiritually filled up? Our scripture lesson today from the Gospel according to John introduces this theme of what it means to be a follower of Christ. What are the implications if you and I dare to call ourselves by the name Christian? Is this a journey that could demand too much from us? John begins, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. It's so philosophical, so abstract. It's a rather distant image of this one named Jesus. How could you love and follow a word? Not much of a God we can relate to, but then the Gospel of John says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, or a better translation is God pitched God's tent on our lawn. And now we can begin to see that this is a God who longs to live among us. I think that this passage crescendos when it says in verse 16, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, that Jesus came to show us God in the flesh. And from the fullness of this Jesus, we have all received grace on top of grace. Is that true? These people who heard John's gospel message in the first century, they never met Jesus in the flesh. They lived a couple of generations after Jesus died on the cross and ascended into heaven. So the only way they could see the flesh of Jesus and receive this gift of grace upon grace was through the early church, through the gathered community of faith, through teenagers who did not want to get out of bed in the morning to sing in the choir, and adults who did not know if they had the stamina to say yes to being a youth group sponsor. But what is this grace? The late author Frederick Beekner says, a good sleep is grace, so are good dreams. Most tears are grace, the smell of rain, that's grace. Somebody loving you is grace. Loving somebody is grace. But why does John say that Jesus brings us grace upon grace? A another way to translate that word from the Greek, the word charis, would be to say gift. Jesus brings us gift upon gift. And what I picture when I read that is gifts piled under the Christmas tree, and someone brings you your gift, but it's multiple boxes layered one on top of the other, all wrapped up with a bow encircling all the boxes because one box could not contain the fullness of your gift. So what might it mean that God would pile gifts on top of gifts to give to you? And how does Jesus know this? And how do the people experience this when the one who came and was God in the flesh is no longer in their presence? I know how grace was piled on top of grace in my own life. It was in your flesh.
yours. You funded the youth ministry when I was a kid. That youth minister would load us into the Brown Church van and drive us down to New Braunfels where we had the most exhilarating and relaxing times as a youth group, learning about God and having so much fun floating down the river. And I will never tell the stories of how we got in trouble, not to protect myself, but to protect these members of the youth group who are here today. Grace upon grace unfolded with abundant generosity when Albert Pennybacker officiated at my sister's wedding here in this sanctuary and at my wedding in a remote mountain resort in Telluride, Colorado. The gifts of God's abundance, the gifts of God's fullness, they were revealed to me in the Handbell Choir Parents Guild. They came and loaded up those crates of handbells and bell tables and hauled them in their cars and in vans and station wagons to whatever site the bell choir was playing in throughout the Metroplex, and not once did I ever hear any of those parents complain. And it was not glamorous work. It was back-breaking work. And I am so happy to say that even though I myself have not had the privilege of playing in the University Christian Church Handbell Choir for 41 years, that my parents are still members of that Handbell Choir Parents Guild, and they still gather to socialize and break bread and share wine. And I know that that is grace. Now, I could go on and on, but Russ has given me a time limit, so just two more. I helped sew the bells on the Sprite costumes for the first ever UCC Boar's Head Festival and participated in it along with my dad, who was a bee feeder. What incredible grace has been showered upon Fort Worth and the entire Metroplex from that gift of pure love and music and drama across the decades, what a blessing. And, and I remember the, the time when some of us in the high school youth group decided it would be a great idea, a brilliant idea, to have an all-night dance marathon in the, in the what you now call Walker Hall. We were going to raise money for a brand new organization that no one had ever heard of, an organization called Habitat for Humanity, as it built its first homes in North America for the unhoused, and the church could have said to us, the church is not going to stay open all night long for that, but gracefully they said, let's do it. Grace upon grace is what I heard as a kid. All I know about University Christian Church is grace upon grace. It is because of you that I learned the truth of what Jesus proclaims in the gospel, that God lavishes us with the fullness of love and grace. But what about you? How has this church gifted you? How has the church been there for you at a frightening moment in the emergency room at the hospital? Or at a joyful moment in the nursery wing when you brought in your newborn for the first time or a moment of doubt when your spiritual questions were bothering you, or a moment of delight when you discovered that some of your richest friendships were born in this place? Or is it your experience that the church takes 
too much out of you, demands too much, too much time, too much treasure, too much energy. Because, you know, nowhere in the prologue in the Gospel of John, or even if we read the entire book, nowhere does it say that the church is here to use you up and burn you out. However, it does say in the prologue that his own people did not accept him. So we know that from the beginning, even as he lavished them with love in the flesh, that some folks turned away. Some resisted, some rejected, some chose not to take this journey of grace that Jesus invited them to follow. Is the fullness of grace ours or not? Years ago, I was startled by a gift of grace. It seemed to explode out of nowhere. I was sitting at my desk early on a Monday morning, exhausted after officiating at five weddings on a Saturday and preaching three sermons on a Sunday. A custodian rapped on my office door. There's someone here to see a minister. If you work at a church, you know that that is code for there is a person here asking for money to pay his or her rent or the light bill or a bus ticket home to Cleveland. That's what it means when somebody says, there's someone here to see a minister. They're not coming for prayer. They're coming for money. I knew that. And so I didn't hurry as I meandered down the hallway to meet with this visitor in the parlor, a safe, wide open space that I felt comfortable in meeting with such a visitor. And I found the visitor with his arms crossed, dressed in jeans and a t-shirt, a very muscular, tall man, leaning casually against a pillar. May I help you? I politely ask. I need to speak with a minister. He spoke with a thick Latino accent, and I quickly realized that my Spanish would not be adequate to convey to him that I was the minister. We sat together. He pulled out a Bible. He opened it up. He flipped to a favorite passage of his that he had underlined. It said that those who are blessed by God should give not only a tithe, their 10%, but also an offering, an over and above gift, Pointing to the verse, he said, I am convinced of this. I nodded. I politely smiled because I knew that he wanted me, a blessed one, a blessed church, to give to him money. And his story fit. He said he was passing through town. I've heard it a million times. I just need $20 for some gas to get me to Tulsa. And then he handed me an envelope. I felt it, it was thick. I thought, well, maybe this is some cassette tapes. Maybe it's some religious music. Maybe it's tracks. No, no, no. Maybe it's anthrax or a bomb. <laughs> I said, well, what else can I do for you? And he said, please just give this envelope to a minister. <laughs> and he departed. Well, I was too scared to open that envelope by myself, so I went into one of the back offices and I found a colleague and we slightly tore open the edge of the envelope and we saw green cash, $16,210 in cash. He had written on the envelope his tithe, 16,000, his over and above offering, $210, and there was his name on the envelope. He was not an unhoused 
grifter passing through town. He was Tony Batista. He was the third baseman for the Toronto Blue Jays, and he was indeed passing through town because they were playing the Kansas City Royals that evening. He was staying at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel just down the street from the church, and he had hopped in a cab and said, take me to a church. But here is the shocking part of that story. When I reached out to Tony Batista and said, how do you want this gift designated? Is, is it for missions? Is it for youth? Is it for the children? He said, it's for the church. It's for the church. Because you see, when Tony traveled and he got paid, he needed to give to the church. He needed to be a part of the body of Christ alive on this earth. I was so foolish in thinking that he wanted to take from me. He wanted to give, and that is grace. That's grace upon grace upon grace, and God just keeps piling on the gifts.
So Carla's sermon this morning had me thinking about my home church, the church in which I was raised. And I was remembering this morning that when I was a young person, I was in middle school, maybe early in high school, that there was a young man in our church with special needs. He was a couple years older than I was. His name was Eric, and he had a huge crush on my mother. Now, we would sit in a pew together, my mom and I, and on the other side of me would be Eric. And he would sit and cuddle up close to my mom and lay his head on her shoulder and rub her arm through the whole thing. Wow, you've been working out, Chad. What do you got going on there? (laughs) And yet when, it would always make me very uncomfortable, as you can imagine. But yet the part that made me most uncomfortable was that when the bread was passed, when we had communion. Now, keep in mind that this was at a different church at a different time when we would actually pass part of the loaf of bread and you would tear off piece of the bread as you passed it. This was back before the pandemic. You would never do that sort of thing now. But we would tear off a piece of the bread, and when it came to Eric, he would always take off a huge piece. And just as cuddling with my mom, this would make me incredibly uncomfortable because I was worried that there wouldn't be enough for the people behind us. And so while Eric would take a huge piece, I would just pinch off just a couple crumbs. So you can imagine my surprise one Sunday when as I was exiting the sanctuary, I looked where the deacons and the ushers had gathered together all of the leftover communion supplies. And what was there? Loaves and loaves of bread. Grace upon grace. There was enough for everyone. Grace upon grace. So we remember the night in which Jesus gathered with his disciples. And he sat with them, and after supper, he took a loaf of bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he said, this, this is my body, which is for you, and every time you eat of this, remember me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and as he filled it, he said, this cup is a new covenant. It's a promise that I pour out in my blood. And friends, each and every time you eat of this bread and you drink from this cup, remember me. Grace upon grace, gift upon gift. Let us pray. Loving God, as we gather around this table, we give thanks and celebrate your generous love shown through Jesus the Christ. We ask for your blessing on this bread and this cup. In partaking these emblems together, may we be joined with others all around the world And may we be challenged to share your love wherever we may go. Through Christ we pray. Amen.